Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Stand Up Tragedy podcast. My name's Dave, and I'm your host. I'm here to introduce episode four of our new, improved 2013 show. For the next few weeks, we'll continue to bring you all the performances that took place at the Hackney Attic in January at our first live event of the year. We had a great mix of comedy, true stories, music and fiction, all with a tragic flavour. Last week we had some comedy from Timandra Harkness. This week we have a true story to tell you, but this is a true story with a twist. Kit Lovelace put the fate of his story into the hands of our audience, letting them choose the next twist in his tale of lost romance. His love life as a choose-your-own-adventure story. How much tragedy did our audience decide that they wanted to hear? Let's find out. Um, so, has, have people read Choose Your Own Adventure Stories before? Are you aware of the format? So, okay. So, uh, as, as Dave said, um, in 2001, I, uh, 2001, 2011, rather, uh, I, I did that for The Guardian. Um, and one of the questions I got asked a lot during that time was, uh, what qualifies you to write a dating column? Um, so I've written a book to sort of prove my point. Uh, it's about the 15 very celibate years of calamity uh, that preceded the column. Uh, and I'd just like to test some of it out for you, if that's okay. Um, this, uh, I'm about to read, it's all true. It's all true. And I'm going to put you in my shoes. So uh, there will be a bit of audience participation in this. No one will be dragged up on stage. It's just a sort of a, a voting style thing. And I can't really see too well because of the lights. So if I could get someone at the back that's involved in the night, if Dave's there, if you can sort of do a count of hands and just sort of feed back to me what the answer is. And you'll decide the, uh, the, the narrative uh, path of tonight's story. So without further ado, uh, let's go. Chapter 90, Friday night. Oh, thank you. Lights are up. I can see. Uh, Chapter 90, Friday night. Plan number one. For various reasons, a significant number of your extended family is going to be down in London this weekend. As they generally do whenever they venture to the capital, they have informally requested that both you and your sister join them for drinks and perhaps a light bite to eat on Friday evening. Your parents will be there and, because they're secretly terrified that you won't ever marry but don't wish to make that clear to you, they are desperate to meet Haley, the girl you've been seeing. Of course, they haven't told you this directly, They've done as they always do when discussing delicate matters of the heart. They've used your sister as a conduit. She's been instructed to casually let it be known that should Haley be free and should Haley want to come along for drinks, then there will be plenty of space to accommodate her, should Haley wish. Haley, you're sure, would have no problem with this. In fact, she probably relished the chance to come and meet them. Similarly, you have no issue introducing Haley to your parents. Your parents are wonderful, kind and loving people, and you're proud to show them off. You have no doubt that they would all be on their very best behaviour and that the three of them would get on famously. It's not just your parents that will be there, though. Also in attendance, there will be one aunt, one uncle, a selection of your many, many cousins, some older, some younger, and assorted other friends, partners and stragglers. It will fall to you to introduce Haley to the vast majority, if not all of them, and they will all want to know one thing. All they'll want to know is how you and Haley know each other. Having to describe the nature of your relationship, for the first time you will have no choice but to say the words, the words that will make it all official, Haley's my girlfriend. Plan number two. 
It was rather difficult to say goodbye to Kate on Wednesday, surprisingly so. Although you knew all along she was leaving the country, and indeed were very much glad of it at one point. When I actually came to letting go, uh, letting go of her so that she could catch her train home and go and pack, you were overcome by a real and very un, uh, rather unwelcome sense of melancholy. It's only been a fortnight since you met, and hopefully she'll be coming back within a year, but still the prospect of not having her about is an annoyingly upsetting one. She told you again how sad it was that you've both squandered an entire year that you could have spent together. You agreed. You told her that it was sad. She then invited you out to visit her in Toronto, an encouraging, if expensive, offer. And then the two of you just stood there, knowing that you both should leave, but neither of you taking that first step away. Finally, afraid that the silence may have been getting too awkward, you kissed her cheek and said goodbye. Kate leaves on Friday. She happened to mention which airport. She happened to mention what time. She also happened to mention that the airline is currently asking passengers to arrive about three hours before takeoff. She's bound to have time for a coffee, isn't she? So what do you want to do? Option A, plan one, introduce Haley, the girl that you've been seeing to your parents as your girlfriend. Plan two, chase Kate the Canadian to the airport. Or option C, let's not be too hasty here. You've not even applied the dinner party test yet. So, uh, here we go. So, uh, the options fall to you. If you could show uh, by uh, a show of hands uh, which you'd like to go for. Uh, option A, introduce Haley to your parents as your girlfriend. Yep, okay, fair enough. Oh, no, there are, there are some smattering. I count about sort of six or seven. Uh, option B, chase Kate to the airport. <laughs> Fairly massive. Uh, option C, apply the dinner party test. Well, if you want to know, why don't you pick option C? <laughs> it's, it's something of my own invention. The dinner party, it's, it's not the option that's going, but I'll, I'll explain very briefly the dinner party test. The dinner party test is um, a way of checking that you're supposed to be with someone uh, by putting yourself into the situation. Let's have a very, very brief look. Uh, just because you've picked the shortcut, you impulsive little bastards, uh, and I've got some time to kill. So, uh, page 116, here we go. So the dinner party test works like this. Uh, you take your forename, um, whatever it is, Kit, uh, and you take the forename of your beloved, uh, Kate or Haley, uh, and then you're using a couple that you know in real life, or an imaginary couple, if you don't know anyone that throws dinner parties, uh, you, you do this, and you say, darling, should we invite uh, Kit and such and such to dinner on Friday? Uh, you mean uh, such and such and Kit? Uh, I don't know. Are they the sort of friends that we like? And then so what you do is you put the names in there, and, uh, and if, they, if either of them sound right as a combination, then, then you're all right. But there are things to watch out for. There are things to watch out for. If you've got rhyming names, for example, uh, like Arthur and Martha, you just kind of think, that can't be right. That sounds too comical. Um, if you've got the, uh, the celebrity coupling, it doesn't need to be like a... Uh, like a uh, uh, fuck, who's going out with Angelina Jolie these days? Brangelina, you don't need to go for that. I'm talking like a Tom and Jerry like Jerry Hallowell, Tom Cruise sort of combination, or Harry and Sally sort of thing. I knew, uh, genuinely, I knew a couple called Sam and Ella, and they got together, and it wasn't until they introduced themselves to people that they went, Sam and Ella, like the raw egg disease. 
And it pissed them off so much, they stayed together for three months, and they, they absolutely fucking hated being introduced as a couple. Uh, but uh, conversely, I knew a couple called Adam and Steve, uh, who were like, Adam, uh, I thought God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And um, they, they just found that really funny, and that they, they're very much happily in love. So it doesn't always work, is what I'm saying. But it's one of these things that's worth considering. And the reason is, Kit and Kate is a, you know, it sounds like a baby clothing manufacturers. But you've decided Kit Kat would, would work, yeah. Or Kitty Cat, or Katie, Katie Cat. Um, anyway, you've chosen to uh, chase Kate to the airport. So, um, I will tell you this. This is all true, as I've mentioned before. But this uh, chapter in particular, uh, I wrote... It, uh, I wrote before I had the idea for this book, and um, uh, I, I wrote it in the minutes after this had happened. I had a, a, a tube journey to complete, and uh, my mind was reeling, and it gave me something to do. So this is actually verbatim from what I wrote, uh, and it's, uh, it's hopefully an accurate transcript of, of what happened about five minutes before. Um, and I've never decided quite what to call this chapter, whether to call it Departure Gate, um, but then all the Pleb Gate whatever gates, all those Watergate-style jokes have become really popular recently, and I don't quite like it. Or whether to call it Final Call, but maybe we can have a vote on that uh, as well. So this is Chapter 71. This is what happened when I chased the Canadian to the airport. Chapter 71. Message sent, 1736. From me. Right, I'm only going to wish you a safe and happy journey as far as Heathrow. If you're still determined to leave the country, you're on your own. Message received, 1754. Kate. No! Wish me well after Heathrow too. I'm superstitious. Message sent, 1815. Hmm, maybe. I'm not sure. I'll decide when you've made it to Heathrow. Message received. Six minutes past eight. You jinxed me! I had the most cursed time because A, I had too much baggage and B, it was overweight. Your fault. Message sent, six minutes past eight. Where are you? Outgoing call, seven minutes past eight. Hey, where are you? What? Where are you? The departure lounge. You've gone through security. It's been horrible. My bags were so heavy. I ended up getting a taxi. One was so heavy, they said they wouldn't let it on the plane. I had to beg them to. Kate, have you gone through security? Yeah, why? Oh. Why? I'm, um, outside. You're where? Um, I can't hear you. Heathrow. What? I'm, I'm at Heathrow. You're joking. Um, no. You're joking with me. You're at Heathrow. Uh, yeah. Why? I, uh, uh, to say goodbye? You're joking. Uh, no, not joking. You're kidding me. No, I'm not. I'm at zone D. What? I'm at zone D? Shut up, you're joking. I'm not, I'll prove it. Call ended, nine minutes past eight. Message sent, nine minutes past eight. Attachment one, JPEG. Attachment one being a picture of the outside of Heathrow Terminal 3, the Zone D sign clearly in view. Incoming call, 10 minutes past 8, from Kate. 
Oh my god. Y yeah. You're there now. Well, yeah, here. Right now. Oh. Don't worry, I was just sort of... Well, I wasn't passing, but I was <laughs> sort of on the Piccadilly line and saw Heathrow and thought I might... Oh, I don't know. I was waiting by the bit where people come out from the tube. I thought you'd come past. Oh, my God. I feel terrible. Sorry, I, I shouldn't have mentioned it. That is so sweet. I can't believe you did that. Oh, it was, it was no trouble. It was fine. Yeah, but still. Look, I, I'd better go. There's no real sense in me hanging around here. Okay. This is a bit, a bit weird now, isn't it? Sorry, I, I shouldn't have said anything. I can't believe you came all the way down here just to see me. I feel awful. No, honestly, honestly, don't feel bad. You mustn't. That is the exact opposite reaction of what I was hoping to achieve. The point of this was it was supposed to be a nice surprise. Well, I'm, I'm going to head back now, uh, you know things to do. Okay, uh, please, please stay in touch. I will, of, of course I will. Promise me. I promise. It would mean a lot. I, I will. But really, I should go. Okay, well, bye, I guess. Yeah, I'll, um, I'll speak to you soon. Let me know you get back, okay? I will. Safe flight. Thanks. Bye, Kate. Bye. Call ended, 12 minutes past eight. Message received, 20 minutes past eight. I don't know anyone else who would spend all day on the tube to come and say goodbye. You're so sweet, really. And with that, she is gone. I will say, so that I don't make the mood too low, um, I, we didn't speak for two years after that, but she came back to London recently and we did meet up and we had coffee and um, we, we thrashed that all out. It was pretty much that um, exact incident that led to me getting the Guardian column. So I, I, I had a debt of thanks to her. Uh, and I told her that, and she, she played dumb for a little while. She was saying, you know, I don't understand how you chasing me to the airport could get you a column about your love life, your dating life. I don't really understand how the two marry up. Um, so I told her. And she told me that I should have told her that I had a crush on her, that I didn't make it clear, that that conversation left it hanging quite weirdly. And um, she thought I was angry at her. Um, so I would tell you that if, if there are, only if there are single people here, people, people that are in relationships don't, don't take this advice. But if you, have a, if you do have a crush on someone and you're not entirely sure it's clear, please do make it clear because uh, I think it, it, it's an important thing to do. People should be able to uh, act with all the information they need at hand. Um, but like I say, if you're in a relationship, don't rock the boat because it's kind of tricky. Um, <laughs> thank you very much, uh, Dave. Thankfully, for a tragic night, we got a tragic ending. 
Kit has relinquished control of his love life before when he wrote a series of columns for The Guardian. Each week, the readers decided what he was going to do next. Through following the reader's advice, Kit ended with a happy ending for his romantic adventure. And one of the things that he does now is give romantic advice to any who ask for it. So head over to his website, www.yourlovelifeinmyhands.wordpress.com and ask him anything that you want to know about your love life. You can find him on Twitter at MyLifeYourHands. He'll also keep you updated about what's going on with the book that he's writing about his love life as a choose-your-own-adventure. And you'll also see when he's next doing live events, trying out bits of his story. You can also follow Stand Up Tragedy on Twitter. We're at Stand Up for Tragedy. That's the number four. And we'd love you to be our friend on Facebook. That way you can receive up-to-date news about all of our acts and most importantly find out the details of our future live performances the first of which is at the dog star in brixton on thursday the 28th of march we've got some fantastic acts booked for that like emily cleaver ben target jay foreman and Superbard. and that's only a few of the tragedies we have waiting in store for you there You can find out everything you need to know about Stand Up Tragedy over on our website, www.standuptragedy.com. We hope to see you there. In the meantime, if you've enjoyed this podcast, there will be another one next Friday, which you can listen to using SoundCloud, iTunes, or via the Stitcher Smart Radio app that you can download for free to your smartphone. And go back and check out some of the previous episodes of this show to hear some other fine tragedy performances. I've been Dave, your host. And until next time, the tragedy is over. This podcast was produced by Bryony Hawkins and recorded by Stephen Harvey.